I'm Catherine Mazone here on behalf of Mojo Streaming, and I'm very pleased to welcome our guest, Ross Harvey. He is the Director of Research and Programs at Good Governance Africa. Welcome, Ross. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Absolutely. And I just want to start with the basics. What exactly is Good Governance Africa? Uh, yeah, great question. So we are a, a non-governmental organization or non-profit organization set up about 10 years ago, really to try and improve governance at a macro political level uh, on the continent. Uh, and our basic definition of governance is uh, that it's about who gets what, when and how. Uh, and good governance then obviously is about uh, ensuring uh, the allocation of resources in a way that is transparent, accountable, inclusive and efficient, uh, and that helps to get broad-based development going, which is really what we would like to see uh, in African contexts. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're concerned uh, that the bottom billion, to use Paul Collier's phrase, uh, largely live uh, in this continent, uh, and given the vast resources that we have, that just shouldn't be the case. You raise excellent points, and there's obviously a lot for you to tackle uh, just by definition of your job. So what are you all focused on? Lots of research going on in lots of different areas, I'm sure. Are there primary or priorities that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've got centers across the continent. Uh, based in Johannesburg, we've got our Southern Africa Development Community uh, Centre. Uh, and, and then we've got a centre in Accra, in Ghana, uh, in Lagos, in Nigeria, and in Addis, in Ethiopia. So in the SADC office, we're uh, predominantly focused on four research areas, uh, all, all very broad, uh, human security and climate change, uh, natural resource governance. Those two are obviously integrally connected because if we manage our natural resources well, uh, then uh, we hope that we'll be able to, to, to truncate the curve. Um, what we mean by that is uh, we'll be able to industrialize in a way that doesn't destroy the environment, um, but rather is able to increase income per capita in a way that is actually uh, coherent with uh, what new technologies afford us. Uh, and and doesn't destroy the uh, the environment in a way that uh, further exacerbates climate change. So we're focused on adaptation in many respects, but also in whatever way we can to mitigation. Uh, and then in the natural resource governance program specifically, uh, we're we're focused on trying to ensure that our natural resources are not a curse. Uh, you'll have heard of uh, this phrase, the resource curse, uh, the paradoxical relationship between resource abundance and underdevelopment. Uh, and, and our view is that with the right institutions in place, with the right kind of economic strategy, our resources should actually contribute to broad-based development rather than uh, to a few elites becoming wealthy. Uh, and then uh, we, we also have a governance delivery and impact program, which is focused at a more macro level and ensuring that elections are free and fair, that participatory governance actually happens, um, that politics is competitive, uh, that uh, opposition parties are afforded the right to freedom of association and expression. Uh, and of course, there were concerned about democratic backsliding 
uh, not just in African contexts, but also across the world. Um, but of course, we uh, we see the effect, the negative effects of it uh, close to home. So we're, we're working against that. And then finally, we've got a governance insights and analytics program. And that's really our data hub, uh, where we, we steward what we've called an Africa digital data bank, which is an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different uh, disparate data sets uh, that, that are kind of uh, merged in a way that makes uh, countries and their data comparable across time and um, and variable. So we've uh, we've got our work cut out for us. Um, the thing that I, I should probably mention uh, specifically in the natural resource governance program is that we're not only focused on uh, on the mining industry, but uh, we're particularly uh, passionate about ensuring that we conserve our wild spaces um, in a way that actually really serves people um, and also retains uh, some of the world's last wildernesses intact. Uh, ecologically healthy ecosystems uh, are, are both a form of carbon mitigation and, um, and provide avenues for adaptation uh, and they also provide, in, in respect of the latter, opportunities for people to actually uh, make a, a living. Um, and, and the truth is that in many African contexts, uh, given that we're facing premature deindustrialization, uh, ecotourism actually offers a, a significant channel through which we can actually uh, provide jobs uh, and um, and potential future livelihoods. You know, mines don't last forever. Uh, and if you can, uh, as has been done in one case in, in Zambia, if you can uh, create potential for tourism after the mine has collapsed uh, or um, closed rather, um, then, uh, then you're on a, a winning ticket. But we have to think about our development in that kind of way. We, we really have to be focused on sustainability. That's really important to our viewers at Mojo Streaming. We already have a lot of trophy hunting going on. Would you say that that's one avenue that that helps the folks there? Yeah, Catherine, good question. Um, I'm I'm personally, uh, on the basis of the evidence, uh, opposed to the view that trophy hunting uh, has a reasonable role to play in genuinely sustainable development. Um, I think trophy hunting often gets justified on the pretext that it is uh, a form of uh, sustainable use. And of course, uh, the idea of sustainable use is itself dependent on what environmental economists would call a maximum sustainable yield, um, where you, you can extract or harvest an amount from the wild uh, that doesn't jeopardize the, uh, the stock of that resource uh, in, in the following year. And the problem, of course, with that view is that uh, one has to have extremely robust scientific data as to uh, exactly what kind of stock is available. Uh, you also have to be sure that whatever you remove from that stock will not jeopardize the, uh, the future health uh, of those populations in question. Um, and thus far, uh, firstly, given poor governance, but also given the lack of real engagement with the science, um, I see no to little to no evidence that trophy hunting can actually support um, a, a sustainable use uh, pretext. Um, I, I think that if you look at Botswana in particular, 
the elephant management plan was put together two years after the trophy hunting ban was lifted. Uh, and uh, it makes no reference, not one single reference to, firstly, to the, uh, the wildlife numbers surveys that have been carried out in Botswana by the likes of Elephants Without Borders. Uh, and uh, it certainly doesn't make any reference to the, the science that, uh, that is pretty unequivocal now that uh, removing all the male bulls from elephant populations in particular is, uh, is highly destructive, both for elephant populations, but also uh, for uh, ecological integrity. So I think that if you look at the governance and you look at the science, uh, it's very difficult to support a view that trophy hunting plays any reasonable role in uh, sustainable development. And of course, we've featured uh, a scientist on Mojo Streaming for a debate that we had about the, you know, the question of whether trophy hunting is necessary for conservation. And she was saying that there were studies that were done that indicate that it was beneficial to the, the people. Is this just outdated information? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I think it's probably worth dealing with each uh, kind of premise in turn. Uh, one, the, the idea that uh, the trophy hunting resolves uh, the problem of, of, say, human and wildlife conflicts, or particularly human and elephant conflicts in this case, uh, doesn't seem to bear up under scrutiny. Uh, most of the studies we have on elephant behavior are unequivocal uh, in the uh, in the conclusion that uh, older male bulls help to discipline younger bulls and prevent them from becoming delinquents. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there were animals, there were elephants called in the Kruger Park, South African Kruger National Park in the 90s, um, with a view to trying to reduce the population on the pretext that it was having a a negative impact on on the ecology and I'll, I'll come back to that point in a second um, but some of the younger bulls that were orphaned from that uh, fr from those culls were then moved to Pilansburg National Park uh, and proceeded to uh, to sexually assault uh, the rhinos uh, and uh, it was only after the introduction of older bulls that that kind of behavior stopped uh, so we have strong evidence there that uh, the likelihood of human and elephant conflict is actually reduced because older bulls transfer knowledge. They also provide a disciplining function. Uh, so crop riding elephants are, are less likely to, uh, to interfere where people live um, if, if they are disciplined by older bulls. Uh, now, the other thing to say about that is that it seems much more, more fruitful to me and the science uh, it seems to support this policy intervention much more strongly than, um, that, than hunting. And that is to create safe migratory corridors uh, through which elephants can move uh, so that they avoid croplands and that farmers avoid planting crops in areas in which elephants are identified to move. Uh, and there are there are conflict mitigating devices that can actually contribute to livelihood production as well. So uh, the production of bees and honey, for instance, uh, are both products that can then be sold into uh, the tourism value chain 
provided your current conservation agriculture buffer zones uh, on the borders of protected areas. So there does have to be a holistic plan in place. Uh, and, and that does require buy-in from a lot of stakeholders. Um, I think it's often easier for governments to simply say, well, uh, let's just uh, create uh, you know, a theoretical landscape of fear um, and, and elephants will just somehow retreat into places where they have no contact with humans. But the problem with that is, um, as I say, if you remove the older bulls, which are the bulls that trophy hunters are after, it doesn't seem likely to me that you're going to create the kind of behavior that will reduce human and elephant conflict. Uh, the second argument then is that uh, if we remove uh, older bulls, we'll, um, you know, we'll somehow uh, remove the negative impacts of elephants on the landscape. That also misunderstands the science. You know, if you create wild connected spaces for elephants to move in, uh, they actually have what we call a heterogeneous or an uneven impact on the landscape, which is actually regenerative for that landscape. Um, so you'll have a lot of scientists saying, well, you know, we lost all these beautiful trees on the Chobe River, um, you know, and there are too many elephants and we must shoot the elephants. Um, but everyone recognizes, firstly, you're not going to solve any supposed overpopulation problem by, by shooting a few, you know, a handful of, of older bull elephants. Um, and what that also misses is that those trees were probably only there because of uh, colonially introduced rinderpest, uh, which is a, a disease that would have uh, taken out other animals that would have been eating the, the, um, the, the seeds and the saplings um, of those trees. So elephants transport seeds up to 90 kilometers away from where they've digested them, which uh, creates new growth. It also helps to thin out the vegetation, which is, uh, is carbon positive um, because it maintains the health of, of those ecosystems, as I've, I've said. Um, and then thirdly, I, th I think the point to recognize is that uh, older bulls uh, are increasingly reproductively successful. So it's not as if you can remove an older bull um, on the pretext that, well, they've already passed their genetic material on. It doesn't work like that. Um, the chances of, uh, of transferring big tusk genes, for instance, are increased uh, through multiple uh, reproductive activity. Um, and so we, we find actually that uh, older bulls are increasingly reproductively successful until the point where they, they die, um, siring the most offspring between age 45, well, between 40 and 55. Um, so we have to make sure that they actually reach that age. Um, and, and at the moment, uh, hunting regulations normally allow hunters to shoot bulls over the age of 35. Um, and you'll have seen in Botswana just recently two, uh, two of the biggest remaining bulls shot with, uh, with, with tusk sizes of over 100 pounds in the first instance and then 90 pounds in the second. Um, and this is a travesty. I mean, we're, we're shooting our own, uh, our own heritage, uh, bulls in their prime. Uh, and again, hunters will tell you, no, no, we only shoot um, past prime males. That's not true. That just doesn't bear up under scientific scrutiny at all. Um, sorry, Catherine. Actually, lastly, to your point about the provision of livelihoods and protein to communities, uh, there's some very good material just published in the last couple of weeks in Africa Geographic showing that if you look at what hunters pay versus what the community actually receives, um, I think you'd have to say that this argument is at best a ruse or, or um, a, a highly 
condescending uh, patrimonial view of uh, just handing out um, the most menial of jobs and, uh, and the provision of, of some protein to communities in need. That strikes me as exploitation rather than genuinely inclusive uh, development, which um, the alternative would, would actually be to include local communities in, in tourism value chains, which seems to me a lot more sustainable. And again, there are studies showing that uh, over a lifetime, elephants are worth something like 76 times more uh, over a lifespan to tourism than they are to, to one hunt, uh, where, where a hunter might pay $80,000 for a uh, for a bull elephant. That, that elephant is valuable to photo tourists as well. Um, so the opportunity costs are high. And we've mainly talked about elephants but is this a model that can be applied to other animals that are often hunted by trophy hunters yeah Catherine, i think so i think if you look for instance just at south africa alone um that lions and leopards have clearly been shot in their prime uh again uh hunters are of the of the view or certainly justify their activities by saying that they're only shoot males that are past their prime breeding age. Um, but when we do actually age the animals, then we see that in fact, they're, they're shot um, below so the age of seven in the case of lions. Um, there was one uh, animal from the Kruger Park that was shot in uh, the, uh, the Bululi Reserve, which uh, borders uh, the Kruger Park. Uh, and, and that lion was actually uh, clearly in its prime. Uh, so, Again, um, I think you've got to ask questions about the, the, the kind of genuineness uh, with which hunters holds this argument. Hunters are after a trophy, uh, which means that they're actually after shooting animals in their prime. Um, otherwise, it defeats the object of uh, obtaining the, the nicest looking trophy. So I just don't buy the argument that, uh, that, that they're in the business of shooting animals past their prime plus. Uh, we know that that our, our big cats are are in even shorter supply than um, than elephants. We've got about twenty three thousand lions left in the wild, um, whereas we've probably got about four hundred thousand elephants. Um, it, uh, leopards even less so. Uh, and and then the the final kind of iconic species that's being hunted is is white rhino uh, and black rhino. Uh, the South African government actually just uh, put out a press release a few weeks ago saying that, well, a few months ago, rather than February, saying we can shoot 10 black rhino, but they actually hadn't gazetted any kind of uh, quota or reference to science supporting that quota. The idea is that um, black rhinos fight each other on, uh, you know, on small territory. So if you remove one um then you know all the better for everyone else uh, and of course you can make money in the process um again um there are less than than five thousand black rhinos left in the world um so the idea of uh, of shooting one when when that rhino could for instance be translocated to a reserve that would actually look after them um i just don't uh, i don't buy the arguments again um, and there have been successful translocations. Unfortunately, the white rhinos uh, translocated to Botswana um, have all but been poached out uh, since President Masisi came into power in 2018. And is, is poaching something, I mean, you, you can't ignore it, um, poaching and, and trafficking. Um, what role would you say you all play in that? 
Yeah, so, I mean, one of the arguments that's been offered is that hunters uh, will provide anti-poaching presence in areas where uh, photographic tourists are reluctant to go. I think that argument has really been uh, defeated through, um, through the, <laughs> the, the unlikelihood of, um, of, of the success of some uh, photographic tourist endeavors. So, for instance, um, there, there are um, a set of salt pans in, in Botswana, which um, I think if you looked at at first glance, wouldn't be your first choice of place to go as a, as a photographic tourist. And yet the marketing has been so successful that uh, photographic tourists have, have gone there. And in fact, um, really uh, appreciate the solace and the, um, and the utter vastness and the desolation of the, of the environment. So the idea that, uh, you know, hunters tread where no photographic tourist will go, um, that doesn't seem to stand up, actually. Um, what we do need to do, though, is, is create safe corridors and, and at least uh, put research presence uh, and some kind of anti-poaching presence in, in areas that are vulnerable and perhaps not yet uh, amenable to photographic tourism. Um, Poaching is a is a really serious problem. Um, it seems to me, on the basis of the evidence thus far, that the uh, given the unknowns, uh, that it's it's better to have a, a relatively simple strategy that doesn't rely on on too many uh, unprovable hypotheses. So trying to reduce demand uh, in whatever way possible seems a, a an optimal strategy. Um, but of course. You, you're very unlikely to be able to undermine demand if you continue to uh, to legitimize supply. So my argument against trade, for instance, of ivory or rhino horn, uh, is that for as long as you send a signal to the market that supply is readily available, um, then uh, why should consumers not purchase ivory or, or rhino horn? Um, I just, I just don't think that that works. You know, I, I think that sometimes people who propose uh, a legal trade, firstly, uh, are naive about how those legal channels will be used as um, as avenues to launder illicit products. Um, I think that they're also naive about uh, the extent to which that undermines the messaging that says, "Hey, ivory belongs to." To elephants and rhino horns belong to, to rhinos. Um, they are of zero aesthetic or medicinal value. Um, that, that message has to be supported by supply side uh, substantiation. Uh, I think, unfortunately, there are recalcitrant countries like Zimbabwe and Namibia who continue to insist that they would make hundreds of millions of dollars with which they could um, put money into conservation. The problem is uh, that that money could surely just as easily be made through um, through through having a proper tourism strategy, um, but that's hard work, uh, and of course there are no easy rents available to um, to officials who would uh, seek to benefit from uh, allocating trophy hunting licenses and um, and perhaps from um, allowing trade. What we saw. Uh, in the wake of the one-off ivory sale in 2008 was a massive uh, poaching spree. Uh, Tanzania's uh, Tanzania Sulu National Park, well, Sulu Game Reserve, which is now Nyerere National Park, uh, lost 
um, if I remember correctly, about 70,000 elephants um, between 2009 and, and 2014. Um, and there are only about 10,000 left in that reserve now. Um, after having done relatively well up until 2006 or so. Um, uh, yeah, so, sorry, I, I should say, I think that they've lost 60,000 between uh, 2014, uh, sorry, between 2009 and 2014 and a slow recovery um, since then. But one-off sales, um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, statistical debate as to whether that's what caused the poaching, um, you know, whether it was just purely attributable to a rise in incomes uh, in Southeast Asian markets. Um, but I, I think you'd, you'd, be, um, you'd be silly to uh, ignore the correlation. Determining what's true and what's not, especially for the sake of these policymakers, it seems to me would be crucial. So how do you focus on something and and get it out there to actually influence people by saying, hey, we've studied We've studied phototourism and these are the numbers and we've studied trophy hunting and these are the numbers. Look here. Yeah, great, great question, Catherine. Yeah, look, it's, it's, a, it's a highly contentious space, right? Um, in part because a little bit like with climate science, um, you, you have companies that explicitly set out to deny um, what the, the climate research was showing. ExxonMobil, for instance, actively, um, you know, <laughs> they supported the research. And then, of course, when the research findings uh, were a, a big red flag to their business, um, that they sought to, um, to greenwash it. Um, and I think that uh, you've got to understand that the hunting lobby is, is particularly uh, influential and um, and they pay. Um, so I think that the research really has to be interrogated on its own merits. And that, that can be confusing for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and there will be views uh, on both sides because the, the, the hard evidence may not be conclusive. But I think what you have to do for policy sake is say, look, on the basis of the weight of the evidence, uh, given what we know, what, what, you know, there are absolute nine-nines. We know that it's a bad idea to remove older elephant bulls from the population. Uh, we know that there's abuse in the system. We know that it's badly governed. We know that the science supporting uh, quota allocations doesn't exist. And if it does exist, it's not in the public domain. These are good basic governance premises on which to not pursue the policy. Um, so I think that's one way of cutting through the noise around competing arguments what do we know we we know that there's that there's no science um you can shoot five elephants in ngamiland 13 which is a little block above uh, above the delta the okabango delta um and then you can shoot 20 elephants in another place and of course that kind of uh discrete demarcation uh is a denial of the science that elephants move and they cover a lot of distance uh, every day. So there's no thought given to the dynamism and the actual truth, if you like, of how elephants move. Um, so you can interrogate policies that are made on that basis alone, um, which I, I think gives one uh, sufficient reason to doubt um, what, you know, to doubt the wisdom of the policy that's currently being enacted. Um, 
it's very difficult to influence policy when the stakes are so high for industry players who would lose out. Um, and those opposing uh, trophy hunting are often kind of simply dismissed as greenies or um, snowflakes or whatever who don't want to understand the reality on the ground and so on. Um, I faced these arguments now for the last uh, eight years at least. And uh, yeah, you have to just keep responding by saying, hey, look at the evidence. Uh, what do you have to say about the scientific paper that shows that elephants are increasingly reproductively successful and there's no such thing as a surplus male bull? And if, they, if there's no answer to that question, just in the case of elephants alone, then we then you have to be able to say, it's not because I'm some kind of greedy. Um, actually, the science is strongly uh, dubious about uh, the wisdom of, of trophy hunting. Um, that, that, that would, uh, yeah, and you've just got to keep putting information out there, you know, in an age of misinformation, you've got to keep trying to show that your work is evidence-based um, and supported by, by the latest rigorous science. What else haven't I asked you that you think is important? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Um, I suppose that one of the interesting things that, that's happening at the moment is that, you know, there are moves um, in, in the UK, for instance, and in, in Belgium uh, and even the US to try and uh, ban trophy imports. Um, and, and of course, you know, trade in ivory and rhino horn has been uh, officially um, banned at the global level um, and efforts like that are often cast by the trophy hunting industry or the or those with an interest in trade as some kind of neo-colonial imposition um, you know we must let african countries decide for themselves and so on um, and i find these arguments deeply disingenuous um, even by the, those who make them recognize that uh, trophy hunting is a colonial activity it, it by definition, um, wealthy, largely white foreigners going to African countries and harvesting, extracting natural resources and uh, repatriating uh, those artifacts home and putting them on a wall wherever um, in the US or Belgium or the UK. Um, and so this idea that African countries must decide for themselves, etc. it's um, it's just, uh, as I say, it's disingenuous. Um, African countries should decide for themselves and they should decide policies based on, um, on future generations' best interests. Um, and that is to have healthy ecological systems with, with intact wild spaces, uh, with as little human interference as possible and with as much benefit accruing from the conservation of those spaces to local communities as possible. Um, and that is hard work. It's hard to get people to agree. It's much easier to make money from trophy hunting and then tell anyone who doesn't agree with it that they're being uh, neo-colonial. Um, it's just lazy. Ross, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Catherine.